Break the Ice podcast is presented by Superfood. Superfood Performance Nutrition has made a name for itself by feeding athletic organizations like the Washington Capitals both on and off the ice. If you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, check out superfd.com to learn more. Hey everyone, Mike Vogel here for WashingtonCaps.com. Welcome to yet another edition of Break the Ice, joined today by Caps head coach Spencer Carberry. As the Caps uh, just just weeks, days away, I guess now, from, from taking the ice at the beginning of training camp in preparation for the 23-24 season. Spencer, um, I guess it's almost been about 90 days, almost three months exactly since you were named uh, as the as the team's head coach, what's the summer been like for you as far as checking boxes, um, getting the family moved in, just all the things that you needed to do? Are are you all set and ready to go? How how did those ninety days play out for you? Early on, uh, it it was a lot. There was a lot uh, coming at um, myself job wise, um, requirements wise for for things. Uh, with the team, media obligation, all that stuff early on, and uh, and then not to mention the family part of it, of moving and um, doing that whole thing. Once post-draft, post-development camp, development camp was a really good week for us because a lot of our staff got together and we were in person um, and got to go over a lot of preparation stuff as we were going to go our separate ways for the next month and a bit. Uh, we were able to dial some things in that are going to be really, really important in the next couple of weeks. So the way I would describe it is it was a lot early on, uh, immediately after being named head coach. And then the last month, the last four weeks have been able to settle in and, and start to you know, transition, move, move the family down. We got all that stuff organized, schools, all, all the logistical family stuff, and then also be able to really take a deep breath and, and dial into um, the preparation component for training camp, uh, our group, some line, con- all that type of stuff um, we're able to tackle as things slowed down over the last four weeks. You able to feel the excitement kind of building? Yeah, now? big time. And and especially, I, I feel like this as a, as a coach, when you start getting into the rink and, and slowly but surely, one more player comes, two more yeah. players come forward. And, and this, when I first was here, there was two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Joe Snively and John Carlson and, and uh, Alexiev. I should say it actually started as Alexiev and Carlson, and and then Snives comes in, and now all of a sudden you walk by and there's twelve skaters yeah. out there, so you can feel it coming to your point. It's a great time of year, yeah, it for sure is. So so let's uh, let's go back into the the history of your your career a little bit, and and we'll start with the playing career. It's kind of interesting to me that you, you started uh, playing in the the BCHL for the. Coican is is that the Cowichan 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 Valley Capitals yeah and, and for an ex capital Greg yeah. Adams was yeah. was the head coach of that <laughs> yeah. team which is wild to me um but, but you grew up I know you were born in Victoria did you grow up there as well I did grew grew up there and always um funny story always wanted to play there's a junior A team a bitter rival of the Cowichan Valley Capitals in Victoria. They were wow. back then called the Victoria Salsa. They're now <laughs> the Victoria Grizzlies. Um, I like salsa. Yeah, they were the because the ta- the owner of Taco Time, the 
<laughs> he Smart. owned it, Victoria Salsa. I always wanted to play for my hometown team, Junior A, yeah. the Victoria Salsa. Never could make it. And then I went up to Cowichan Valley my third year trying out. I said, forget it. I'm not going to try out for the Salsa again. I know how this story ends. So Greg Adams was the owner of the Cowichan Valley Capitals, ha- owns a bunch of, um, as a construction company, owns mm. some Tim Hortons up there. Is is from that area, Couch Valley. Duncan is the is the uh, town name. Went there. Greg um, was the owner of the team and said, "You know what? I'm a coach this team. I'm going to coach." And so this was his first year coaching. And so Greg saw me play him and, and uh, l- liked the style of play that I brought, and and I made the team and then uh, played the year in Couch and Valley for for Greg Adams. And and Victoria is is kind of a. Um a jumping off point really for, for the game itself. I mean, Dick Patrick's family yeah. started, uh, you know, that, that Pacific coast hockey league more than a hundred years ago. Uh, there was a team in Victoria there. There's a, one of the first indoor rinks ever was built in Victoria. And there's, there's a plaque there yeah. to this day, uh, commemorating that. And, and, I mean, Matty Irwin's hometown is always a, <laughs> yeah. a big place for us. Yeah, can't, can't Stanley Cup champions too. I, yeah. I always remember that as a kid, the, uh, looking at. I, I go Victoria <laughs> Stanley Cup champion. Hold on, something. How to, can that be? They they won the Stanley Cup uh, way back. So, um, and and you spent another year in that league before you went off to University of. Uh, Alaska Anchorage, which yeah. uh, Jay Beagle showed up there a, a couple of years later. But interesting to me, like, you, you spent a season there, and that team did not have a very good year. And you I read noticed, up on that, hey? Yeah. The, well, like, <laughs> I, I found it fascinating, too, that the coach is a guy named Jim Hill, I think. John Hill. John Hill. John Hill. And and his uh, – delving back into his background, and, and he had a, a long and, and, and good coaching career, but he actually was a teammate of John Tortorella in, in something called the um, Atlantic Coast Hockey League in the mid-1980s. I didn't know that. So that's kind of a wild thing. They played for the Virginia Lancers, again, to kind of bring it back home here so that that's kind of a weird fluky little I didn't thing know that. Huh. but but what was it that about that one year in in in, in anchorage Ooh. that that had you moving to uh <laughs> wisconsin after that well uh that that was an interesting year we um so i'll say a few things it um it was the worst recorded uh, season in the history of of NCAA hockey, yeah. we won our first game of the oh season. My God, no! Won our first game of the season and didn't win for thirty five straight. I knew you had one win. I didn't realize yeah. it was. Opening it was the night. first. We were one and zero, ready to take the world on. And um, so great experience. A living up in Alaska yeah. Anchorage. Um, and a lot of people don't know this, Alaska Anchorage, the, the program has sort of dropped off a little bit, but back then it played in the WCHA. Mm-hmm. And this was um, hands down the best conference in college hockey. You're talking mm-hmm. about University of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Denver, Colorado College. Colorado College, Colorado College was the best team we yeah. put. They, and it was like Thomas Fanick, Joe Pavelski, Zach Parisi, Oof. like the – it was a gauntlet. Uh, Minnesota Duluth was excellent. Yeah. Michigan Tech, Mi- Minnesota State Mankato. Mm-hmm. So it was a gauntlet of a conference, but um, also exposing me to a very, very high level of, of play. Uh, it didn't work out there. It, it um, 
the season, me personally, I, I, it just was a really, really tough, tough year. And I had been recruited by St. Norbert heavily through my junior career in Cowichan Valley, like you touched on, and in Penticton. Um, so I just felt like Divi- Division Three, and, and back then, this is before the transfer portal and all that stuff, when when you're in Division One, if you transferred to Division One, you had to sit out a year. Right. You had to redshirt. And I just was already an older freshman I said, you know what? I, I want to keep playing hockey. I love the game. Um, I'm going to change directions here. This Division Three team was heavily recruiting me. It seemed like a great program. The coach was excellent. Loved um, all the things he talked about about the program. And, and so I decided to go there and play right away. And, and um, one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. When you look back on that one season now, and, and, and maybe just in the way John Hill handled that that any anything that you you learned from from that situation because oh, obviously oh nobody wants that. Yeah, I I, I learned a lot, and um, I think I would I would tell this to John um, today, and I actually bumped into him because he's a, he's in Columbus's organization as a scout, and yes. I, I just can't even imagine as a coach going through the emotions of that. And I remember there were there were so many emotions of that year because you just that there's so much negativity and loss and. You'd go to practice and and you just you didn't enjoy it because you knew, yeah. and and then we tried to bring it back up and be real positive through the year. You know we'd want lost whatever twelve fourteen at this point, and then you try and then it goes back and it just um, and then you you couple that with um, the fact of Alaska that time of year, you go to class pitch dark, you get out of class pitch dark. Yeah. So the the it, it was just I learned a ton about. Um, not only myself, but also coaching and, and handling losing and going through certain situations in a year where things don't go your way. Um, so I did take a lot from that year. Um, and then you go to um, St. Norbert, which is in De Pere. And for me, that growing up in the Midwest, like St. Norbert is famous for being the, the training camp of the, of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. I think since the days of Vince Lombardi, I'm pretty sure he's yeah. the guy that moved their training camp there, and I think it's been there pretty much pandemic notwithstanding. Yeah. I think it's been there ever since. You're right, I think. And, and that just that, that sort of uh, championship osmosis has got to still be in the air there. What was that experience like? And I also noticed that – there's a fair amount of BC guys and Canadians that, yeah. that were recruited to that program. Yeah, and that's days. what St. Saint Norbert had the uh, unique ability as a private institution to be able to offer some Canadian players some financial aid and, mm. and going to a private school, um, St. Norbert. And that's why part of the reason, I should say, why they've been able to recruit Saskatchewan players, British Columbia, Alberta, um, and do a really, really good job. And, and you're right, you touch on the Green Bay uh, Packer portion of St. Norbert, which not a lot of people know, De Pere, you know, the, close to Green Bay, but mm-hmm. there are so many ties to the Green Bay Packers. Red Bear, uh, uh, Red Batty is their um, equipment manager, has been there for years. Matt, he's from, uh, or just a huge hockey hockey guy, so he would get us involved with the Packers. I remember meeting Bart Starr wow. and Brett Favre, and you go to games and you, and you feel the mystique of the Packers and they, they would stay in the dorms, like you said, yeah. in training camp. They would stay <laughs> at the St. Norbert dorms and practice. Um, so, so you're right. You, you That's the original title town, yeah. the, the Green Bay, Wisconsin. And, and we did get exposed to that a lot. And, and the program was um, great 
small private school, but also just a great hockey program, really well run uh, by Coach Tim Coughlin, who's been there for years and, and has just done an exceptional job with that uh, hockey program. So what was your degree in, 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 in that's a degree that, in a perfect world, you, you'll never even need to use. And, and were you expecting to use it when you got it? I absolutely was expecting to use it, and I would um, disagree with you. I use it every day. I use that well, degree every single day, and it... Uh, I mean, to get paid to use it. Yes, but, yes, But I yes. know what you're saying. <laughs> I got a business administration degree, and I, I learned a ton. And, you know, it, it was interesting because it's such a small school... You, I remember being in Alaska at Anchorage, and you're in these big auditoriums, yeah. and you're just going through college, right? It was like the typical college. You sit there, you do your two, you do your midterm, you do your final. This was a whole different experience. This was in a 20-person class. This is assignments are due every week. This is attendance is taken. Nowhere to hide. Yes, <laughs> and, and you're called on, and, and you're expected to... And so... Um, I learned a lot and was not ready for that, but soon became, I said, okay, I got to pick up my, my bootstraps here. Like this is the real deal. And I've got to make sure that I'm putting in adequate work so that I can graduate and, and get a college degree. So I, I learned a ton in my class. I still go back to like corporate finance, stuff, like um, managerial economic stuff that I was a business major. So um, I did take a lot away from my three years at St. Norbert, uh, scholastically. I think you're more invested too, as an upperclassman, right? When you're, when you're just jumping into it as a freshman, you're yeah. kind of just trying to feel your way around. You were probably more yes. mature by the time yeah. you, you got through it all. And so then you, you finish that up and, and you start playing in the, the now defunct central hockey league for the, the Tulsa Oilers and, and that Tulsa also has a, a hockey history going back to the original Central, Central League. I, mean, I think George McPhee started his pro career there too at, at some point back in the uh, in the 80s. But um, that league, when, when you were in it, was was interesting to me. Like it had um, guys like uh, Jim Wiley and Terry Ruskowski, Killer Kaminsky. It had yeah. some former uh, NHL players with some cachet who were coaching. Yeah. Um, but but it, it, it didn't seem to have much of a footprint. So how, how did you get from, uh, you know, graduation yeah. to in, instead of going into the business world to, to, to landing in Tulsa? Well, I knew I, I still wanted to play desperately. Mm. And a, as your Division three career ends and – you going okay? There's only so many places. There's only so many pro jobs. And I'll tell you a story. I I signed that summer not with Tulsa, mm. in the United Hockey League, which was another now yeah. defunct league, uh, for the Chicago Hounds. It was their inaugural season. They um they only ended up playing one season. I think it was the Sears Center. They built this um arena in Hoffman Estate, Chicago. Yeah. They were going to bring this United League team there. And I go there, and, and the naive pro hockey player who would, okay, great, I got this contract, I'm on the team. I, I get let go after oh. training camp, after going through exhibition games and that. And then that was eye-opening because these are, there's so many different occurrences in your life where you're like, this could have gone yeah. left, this could have gone right. And I, I went back to St. Norbert and was like, whew, okay. Um, you know, I'm trying to find and, and and in at that time, Vogue's trying to get on with a team at the beginning of the season. Everybody's full. You're like, I might be done here. 
and I got a break um, in Tulsa. One of the um, Czech players, his immigration had not been filed yet, or it hadn't gone through, so he wasn't able to play. So I'll always remember um, Mike Wiggins was his name. I played against him. He played for the University of Wisconsin, superior, good player. He vouched for me. I didn't know him at all. We had just played against each other. St. Norbert and Superior are uh, bitter rivals. And he vouched for me to the – he told me this later – to, to the coach in Tulsa and said, get this uh, Carberry guy, bring him in. He's a good player. He can help us. And that's how I got my um, – that's how I made my way to Tulsa after being let go. And he, he tells a funny story. This is like – because I had a really good year that year you in did. Tulsa. I was their rookie of the year. Like it took me a little bit to get going. But I, I found my way and, and um, ended up having a pretty good year. But he goes, I, I saw you the first practice, and I was so embarrassed. I, I guess I didn't look very good coming in. And he goes, I, I told the coach, I vouched for you, and, and every, all the teams, like, who's this guy you, you vouched for? But it ended up working out. So he had some vouching regrets initially. <laughs> yeah, wow. he did. He did. Thankfully, I, I backed it up later on in the year. But And and then from there, you, you went into the ECHL next year, which I yeah. guess at that time was seen as a, exactly. a higher league. And yeah. And that year was was kind of you got the tour of Northern California. There were what Stockton, Bakersfield, and I think there was another one. Fresno, Fresno, yeah, yeah. I mean, what was that like? Where you're you're getting a taste, but you're you're kind of hopping around. Yeah. Uh, so so that's where now I'm starting to get a little bit older here because you got to you know the the NHL dream. I, I still wanted to play in a higher level. I had a good yeah. year in the Central League. I said I I I believe I can play in the East Coast League. Like. That's what I wanted to prove. That was my goal that year. So I signed in Bakersfield and, um, again, didn't go as planned early on. Our team didn't perform very well, um, and it just didn't didn't end up working out. I got traded, I think, maybe 20 games into Stockton. Very similar. So same division. You're playing each other all the time. This is back in the East Coast League when they had that California division. There's tons of teams. So go to Stockton and and really it was Edmonton's um, affiliate at the time and there's a ton of contracted players and um, didn't didn't play much. Our team wasn't very good. And and that was kind of the point. And this is another one of those moments. Mm. Of where Stockton doesn't even trade me. Now they just say I got called into the office and they said, "Carbs, we're gonna um, we're gonna release you." And I said, "Okay, that's probably it. That's I'm I'm 25 at this time. I would I would guess somewhere around there." And I go, "That that's probably all she wrote for my uh, professional hockey career. This this year has not gone the way I um, I had drawn it up, and uh, this is probably a sign." So. What ends up happening is that day when I got released, I got a phone call from uh, Matt Thomas. And Matt Thomas was the head coach in Fresno, him and Ryan Mugenel. Oh, yeah. And they're both in Providence sure. now. And so um, Matty Thomas Tito, he, he goes, if we claim you, will, will you come to Fresno? And I said, yeah, I'll come. And, and they said, okay, well, we're not going to be able to get you because the way it worked, waiver priority, they go, Pensacola is in last place. They're going to claim you. But we've got a deal worked out with Pensacola. They're going to claim you and trade you to us 
in in Fresno. So so sure enough, I, and I'm thinking, okay, well, let's just finish out the year. Let's let's earn the rest yeah. of my salary, and and we can go home and regroup. So Pensacola claims me, trades me to Fresno. I drive an hour and a half from Stockton to to Fresno, and um, again another situation that it couldn't have worked out better. It was an great environment for me their team was great fit in really well some um friends from that team that i still call friends to this day awesome um on that team on fresno and and played well fit right in and ended up going back there the following yeah. year with with maddie thomas and and ryan Mujanel. and i guess it was midway through that next season did they deal you to south carolina and that's kind of where everything really no the, the story only gets weirder from okay. here but well, please do tell <laughs> That's what we're here for. We we uh, so came back to Fresno, had a good finish to that year. They were going to build a real good team in Fresno, so came back. I was part of that team, and we were good. We had a tough team. We had skill. We were affiliated with um, the Blackhawks. Peter MacArthur was down. Uh, Mike Raja. We, we had a really good team, and so um, fast forward the story. We get to December. 22nd last game before the Christmas break um, and I don't re- I don't even I hadn't heard any of this some players said they had heard about it or rumblings about it it caught me completely off guard because I was loving life um, enjoying coming to the rink every day our team was in first place Matty Thomas gives his uh, pre-game speech and says this is the last game we're going to play together our team is folding after tonight oh my god a- and I remember just sitting there like, no, what? what? We're folding. The, the owners are closing the doors. It's it's over. We're folding after tonight. So we play the game, wow. and and now we go on on Christmas break. And so this was another point, to kind of going back to the cal. I'm like, okay, this is it. <laughs> I, this is it. Enough. I've I've played my last pro game. I thought I was in a great spot. I thought we were going to win a championship. This well, is you weren't going to win one, actually. <laughs> and uh, so so what happened there is we all essentially, all the players on the team became free agents yeah. midseason. And Which must have set off quite a fierce uh, little exactly. bidding war. Even with the coaches, Matt Thomas, I believe, got hired in Stockton immediately. Mm. When the team, they let their coach go, he gets hired, he brings some guys to Stockton. And I, I honestly... Um, my fiance at the time, Casey and I uh, drove, and, and we were like, "That's done. We're going to go to um, British Columbia. We go to BC, and then we said, okay, well, we'll go um, and start our lives in South Carolina.' We're, I was going to, she was going to get into. Uh, she got it was a communications major. She was going to find work. I, my mom was down there. I was going to get into the financial industry. Mm. We were going to move on. This is December twenty eighth. So. I, we start, um, we actually flew back to Fresno. We're ready to go. I get a phone call. A bunch of teams have been calling saying, would you like to come? And I said, no, thanks. Cincinnati, all, all, a lot of the teams in the ECHL. I got a phone call from Jared Bednar. <laughs> and so uh, Bedsy, he, he goes in his, in his persuasive uh, voice. He's, I hear you're coming out this way. And I said, yeah, I'm... Uh, he said, uh, okay, well, what, do you have any interest in playing? I said, no, uh, some teams have been calling. I'm, I'm just going to go out there and start my life post-hockey. And he said, okay, well, what, you're already coming out here. What do you think about coming out and playing with us for a couple of weeks? We're short a few guys. 
You can come play. It'll be a good transition for you. Just a couple of weeks. You earn uh. some extra bucks. And so he convinces me. He goes, the only catch is you got to be here in two days. Oh, we, we we play, who do we play? Charlotte, I think, on, on this is on a Monday. And he's like, we need you here for Wednesday night. <laughs> so we're going Fresno, California, Charleston, South Carolina, like booking it across the country. Yeah. My fiance and I made it there, played, and um, again, just a really, really good fit. It Another one of those things, those moments in your life, that take place that that transforms and just takes you in a direction. It was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. You guys won the cup that year. Yeah, we did. We did. It was an unbelievable ride. Like great group of guys. Met beds. F- phenomenal coach. The organization. The Zucker family. It, it just there's so many things that just fell into place from there. And then the next season was finally your 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 last season and i guess by that point going back to a conversation you and i had maybe 5 years ago y- you were kind of expecting to come back and play yet again and then i think it was Kale McLean yeah. kind of said hey what would you think about <laughs> yeah. maybe joining me behind the bench yeah and that um maybe i i i haven't said this a lot but maybe i i owe a lot more than than i do to kale not for giving me the opportunity, obviously, very, very um, gracious for him even thinking about, but but maybe seeing something, I, I don't know of of you know carbs might yeah there might be something there as as a coach and and seeing that and um coming to me with that opportunity to be the assistant coach and and not necessarily play anymore and again um, him taking a chance on me and and um letting me become the, the assistant coach of, of his team and learning under him. Like that's another thing of that, that a lot of people ask the question and, and it's come up more often now since Ryan Warsawski in the South Carolina and, and, and the things like th- there was just such a lineage of, of passing down how you do things in the ECHL and how we do things in the South Carolina Stingrays organization, how we treat people, how yeah. we recruit, how we work, the, the hours in our day, how we break down film, and you learn it. And if you want to be successful, this is how you do it. And that's what Kale showed me. That's what Betsy showed Kale. And and it um, and you just knew you had to do this and you had to live up to the standard or you weren't going to be successful. How, how meaningful is it now looking back to to see that that guy, the, the, the guy who brought you to South Carolina is now the – Maybe the first guy in history to win a Kelly Cup, um, a Calder Cup, and a, a Stanley Cup, and and now you're you're kind of in position to to start, you know, following in those those footsteps. It, it uh, makes the hair stand up on my arms, like to to hear that. And he he's so deserving and so humble, down to earth. It couldn't happen to a better person. And um, it's just been such a pleasure to watch and see those moments and be able to, yes, uh, for for him, especially. I mean, you look at the 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 start to his NHL career in Colorado that year. Yeah, and I mean, you, you imagine, and and it's funny. I was watching, um, oh, the the Netflix um, Swamp Kings, mm-hmm. and and usually. And it's a lot of people talk about this, like usually some real difficult situations. If in the moment it's like, oh boy, I'm not sure I'm going to get through this. And then it ends up Bedsy situation, Urban Meyer situation. First, he goes, I'm one game 
um, a loss against, I can't remember who it was, South Carolina or whatever it was, of like, and, and even him as a coach going like, I'm, I, I might be done here. And next thing you know, multiple national champions, championships, I should say. And yeah. Same thing for, for Beds. And so that's where you're just so happy for him because you, you can imagine as a coach being in those shoes and going through that heartache and, and um, all, all the, the grueling and, and the negativity in that and then to come out on the other end and be a Stanley Cup champion, that's amazing. And, and you only spent that one season as an assistant there and, and then you were elevated to the head gig in, in uh, Charleston and five seasons, improved winning percentage each, each season, a couple of nice playoff runs there at the end, got to the final one year. Um, how, did, how did that progression set you up for leaving the organization and, and checking a couple of boxes in Saginaw and uh, Providence? I, I felt like kind of to, to the point about the, the winning percentage, I genuinely felt looking back is I got better as a coach. Like I, I think about my first year as a head coach, and I go, gosh, <laughs> oh my gosh. What was I thinking here? Like I'll look at the – or oh, I remember doing what a poor decision or whatever it was, strategy standpoint, player recruitment standpoint, GM standpoint. I, I genuinely felt by the time of my – at the end of my time in South Carolina, I was a hundred times better coach um, than than when I started. So I think that I just continued to learn. I wanted to get better. I wanted to put the work in. I wanted to correct mistakes that I made. I wanted to learn from them and knew that I didn't have the answers and, and needed to seek out help and um, wasn't too proud to say, hey, guys, that's on me. That's a mistake. Won't happen again. I'll learn from it. And, and by the end of the time in, in South Carolina, we had a couple really good runs. Felt like we had two sort of championship level, even the, th- yeah. the three championship level teams. It just, it's a, it's a hard, hard league because of the call-ups and you just don't know what your roster is going to look like. And um, there's no excuses, but we had some good runs there. And I felt like I was ready for the next challenge. I wanted to challenge myself uh, personally, to, to what can you, whether it's the American League, a different league, it ended up being the Ontario Hockey League, but I was really, really chomping at the bit. And sometimes it doesn't happen like that. I was very, very fortunate to get that opportunity because a lot of people, yeah, you, you can say I want to, to take on the next challenge, but that doesn't come. That opportunity doesn't come. And I was, um, again, fortunate that Dave Drinkle, the GM in Saginaw, sort of identified me in South Carolina, had followed my career a little bit and took a chance on me. And having never played in the Ontario Hockey League, yeah, not born in in Ontario, not a Toronto guy, um, to come up there and, and coach that franchise in the Major Junior uh, Ontario Hockey League. Was it something that you you always envisioned as being a short term thing? Because it, it was just one season. No, and and I I to this day still feel really bad about. Um, how that happened. I, I committed to that organization because they knew it, it was, um, it had been a real team. tough period yeah. for, for them and it had never gotten any traction. And I, and I came in there and knew, um, that it was going to be a process to build this thing up. I, I think when I got in there and really peeled back the onion, I think the whole organization, including Dave ownership was like, okay, whoa, we got to get this down to the studs. 
Like yeah. this has to be completely rebuilt, which I I was on board for. I, I um, but in that league, it's not a one or two year. Like this is a yeah, four takes, year yep. project, um, which I, I I wasn't opposed to. That's okay. I was like, let's roll our sleeves up. And now you, Chris Lazary was our assistant coach there. He's the head coach to this day. Um, that program has been, has been turned around. They're hosting the Memorial Cup next year, cool. and. and so after that first year, it was just like, okay, this is going to be a long process. And I, um, I had worked in, worked with the Boston Bruins for a couple of years. Um, the, the Capitals actually, and Hershey, uh, changed their affiliation from South Carolina to Reading right. for a couple of years. It was the year after Gruby. I had Gruby as a first year pro. His second year, he went to Reading. And even I think it might have even been parts of his third year, but his second year for sure was in Reading because the the affiliation got moved to to Reading. Um, Stan Galley was there, some other yeah. capital uh, prospects. So I during that time, South Carolina grabbed a new affiliation with the Boston Bruins. And so at this time, this is when Butch Cassidy was the head coach in Providence, yep. Kevin Dean, and Don Sweeney was the assistant GM. Peter Chirelli was the GM. And so in those two years, we were affiliated with Boston. So Don Sweeney was was um, my contact there. Butch Cassidy was the head coach, would go up for camps, got to know them fairly well and um, developed some of their players. Tommy Cross, Tyler Randell, Adam Morrison was one of their goalies. So um, long story short, sorry, long-winded here, but... The, the point of what I'm getting at is that relationship and, and seeing how they um, operated and seeing the, the Bruins organization when the opportunity came up in Providence, that was a really, really difficult decision. And, and I just went, it, it was one of those where you stay in Saginaw, it's a great situation, potentially go to, to Providence. And, and it was just one of those... Like, it wasn't a clear cut, like, do this, do that. It was just a leap of faith that I said, you know what, I'm going to go back into pro hockey and, and uh, work in Providence under Jay Leach yeah. in the Bruins organization. Um, but a really, really, really difficult decision that um, I felt I felt really badly because I did make a commitment. And, you know, things come up and, and coaches move, but I'm, I'm usually, like, I, I want to be a man of my word, and I, that's something that I yeah. want to be remembered for, and not fulfilling a commitment and not following through with something, a vision that I felt like I could help that um, organization. I I, um, I didn't take that lightly. But that makes sense, though, that that, that would be something that you would need to to do, is serve as a as an assistant at, at yes. a higher level. Um, and I'm sure they're, they're understanding. I, th- I think, yeah. you know, after at, a few years, yeah, they they, they've got like, it. They've got a, you know, it, it's got a sting for sure. But, yeah. but I think there's, there's, there's gotta be an understanding that the guys have to be um, able to, to improve their, their life yeah. in, in yeah. life and in their, their career. So, and I think, you know, again, looking back on it now, it's got to have been a, a big, plus and there has to have been a lot of value in stepping into and I had forgotten about the the whole reading uh, dalliance yeah. with with the caps there for a couple of years and I mean they even got to the the Kelly Cup final yeah um but just seeing how how things are done in a, in another organization and you had that opportunity as well in Toronto but so you've actually spent time multiple seasons in three different NHL organizations yeah. as your you know, taking off here this this fall to to start your uh, 
your NHL head coaching career, but what did you learn from from those couple seasons in Boston and those couple seasons in Toronto and all the time that you've spent? Like, how well do you feel like having three different sort of visions or different or altered kind of viewpoints um, helps you as as you're embarking upon this this, this biggest step yeah. here? You're 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 spot on to to being able. So here's what I would say is is being able to see the game through a different lens, a different organization, a different appreciation, maybe for a player or a style of play, and meet all of the people and pick their brains. And because that's that's where I feel like I'm so blessed to I get to pick the brain of Jay Leach and learn the way that he sees the game and talk to Jamie Langenbrunner about player development and who they draft and why they draft him and what they see and then see what it is to be a Bruin and and the style of play and the characteristics that you have to bring as a player um, in order to, in in order to wear the spoke being all all of that stuff. You just, you, you take all these little things, Kim Bramble, the, the skills coach for the Boston Bruins, and watching the way that he does individual skill drills and go, darn, that's pretty smart of the way to teach a young defenseman to do. And so all those thousands of experiences you go through in a season and, and learn about the, the foundational things like you're touching on of what the Boston Bruins, and then be able to take that and I get to take that to her. And now I grabbed all the good stuff that I really liked, and then I bring that to Hershey. And that's part of the identity of, of our group is p- part of what you grab from all these different spots. And that's where I feel like, again, I'm so blessed to have been able to be around Butch Cassidy and see like like that, like that, like that, like mm-hmm. that. And grab that, like that. Oh, Barry Trotz, Todd Rear, like all these little yeah. things that I learned along the way that now are in my tool belt that – will be part of the way that the Washington Capitals play this year. Some of the stuff that I took from here, some from here, some from here that I believe in, some from Sheldon Keefe and the Toronto Maple Leafs and the way that they play, I think are great innovative ideas and need to be part of the way my philosophy and the way that we're going to play the game. That That's what it's all about. And that's why, again, I know I'm being a dead horse, but that's where I feel like I've been very, very blessed to have, like you said, been in these different um, organizations to gain this knowledge. Well, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about how Jared had set things up in South Carolina, where this is how we do things. This is this is what this is how we we review film. This is how we yeah. treat people. All that stuff. But now you're getting the benefit of a couple of original six teams, yeah. where it's it's so ingrained in the fabric. And and then, like you say, you're allowed to pick and choose what, yeah. what to hold, what to what to let go of. Yeah. And you come into Hershey. And you're you're back in the in the Caps organization, kind of where it all started for you, and and I mean you did a great job there for three years, but man, those three years were so difficult in in terms of everything that was going on yeah. outside. And and how what was it like for you to have to deal with that and and knowing that every guy was going through that and and every guy's career was kind of being put on hold and 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 kind of up in the air and and there was so much uncertainty there was there was so much i mean we were all dealing with it yeah and but how much did did that sort of creep into your your job description where you you're you're going to you're dealing with it too but now you you kind of got to 
you know, build these guys up and, and help them get through it. You're not going to be able to, to have a playoff experience this yeah. year or next year. What was that like for you when you look back on it now? It, it to be honest with you, I, I never, because of what was going on in the, in the world, it, it was just really, it was hard because, because a lot of now looking back, you go like, geez, now it's easier to say. To go, I, I really wish we had two playoff runs to be able. But in the moment, you're like hockey secondary yeah. right now, and this is like players' careers, my career, everybody's career is irrelevant right now. So it was hard in the moment to 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 be really um, negative or down or or frustrated by what was going on in the world. Looking back, my like, gosh, those were two really, really good teams. And, and the thing that I think about the most with that group, and this is why I'm, I'm so proud of, of what they were able to do this year, is when when we first came in as a staff um, to Hershey, that team was very, very young. And so it was that year where um, I want to say there was like, so Garrett Pilon was a rookie, Beck Malenstein, yeah. Yuso Eichen, and Max Kammerer, um, Joe was a second, Lucas was a second year. I'm trying to think that there was a Hampus Gustafson, Mason Mitchell. Um, the, the list goes on. Shane Gersich was a rookie. So there were a lot of growing pains. Like that was a difficult, difficult year. And, and if you remember that, that first year in Hershey, like we were, we were in last place in Christmas at Christmas. And, and looking back now, you're like, Beck and and Peels and all all these first year guys. It's a tough league. It is like it is a tough league, and so you're coming out of major junior, twenty years old. It takes a bit of time, and and to see them grow and their commitment level and and who they became in in just that one year to now like we we went on that run in the second half of the year end up making the playoffs upset Bridgeport in the first round. Um, and then knowing how much they were going to grow the following year to where we were when everything shut down. And then the third year, um, and then for them, for them to win it this year. But to your original question, the third year is when that's when really stuff, it, it was like, okay, this is the season. And that's where I felt like our team showed its most, um, resiliency and mental toughness is because that year was a challenge right with the testing with uh, the limited opponents we did not know if there was going to be playoffs yeah and we were playing three teams the entire year and most of the teams in North America I'll be honest with you when you looked around the American League and minor leagues like it, it's just kind of playing games yeah. right to play games to stay in shape to our our group it wasn't like that to them. They they were genuinely, and we had this um, saying at the beginning of the year when we first got together, um, you, if you sort of mapped out the days, just the regular season, because we didn't know if there was going to be playoffs. So it was, it was literally 100 days from day one to the end of the thing. So yeah. we had 100 days together. We had been off for 300 and whatever. It was 100 days together, and we made a commitment. We're going to go, we're making the most of these 100 days. We are going to, and... It wasn't about winning games or being the best team. It was about we're going to take all of us players want to get to the National Hockey League. Why not take advantage of these 100 days? we got 100 days to work, yeah. to practice, to get smarter, to get quicker, to get better. Let's take advantage of it as opposed to just 
going through the motions. And so our guys, to their credit, like they were a determined group for 100 days and, and played great that year. We're the best team in the, in the league now. I get it. A lot of coaches and people will go like, well, yeah, Carbs, you're playing three teams yeah. and, and it's a – you know, there's a taxi squad and all that stuff, which is totally fair. But I just know what our group did and what our guys put into that year and the mental toughness they showed going through those circumstances of, of um, that COVID year in the American League with, with potentially not having playoffs, which didn't take place. And I, I give those guys a lot of credit. I look at guys like Lucas Johansson, mm-hmm. Beck Malenstein, Riley Sutter. Yeah. You know, you look at their games played total in, in the American League, and they're, they're, they're essentially the equivalent of maybe two full seasons. So these guys have been pro for some of them yeah. for like five years now, but they've really only played – I mean, they're, they're kind of the equivalent of going into that last year of their entry-level deal yeah. in terms of development. I feel like really kind of – Across the board here, we're, we're at an, uh, a point where you kind of have to grade on the, a COVID curve a little yeah. bit as far as these guys' development goes. And I got to think that there's there's some hidden gems out there, not just here, but around around the league. Guys who, who maybe would be further along or could be further along with, with a little push or the right opportunity. How, how do you get... I mean, do you agree with that assessment? And and because I saw, like, what I saw from Riley Sutter in yeah. in in that uh, that playoff run, like this is a guy who 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 Different looks player. like he could play here at some point. Different player. I I couldn't agree more. And I I do think there there's something to be said for that. Even in the drafting part of of think about some of those young pro or young kids that it was their draft year. They didn't yeah. play a game. They didn't play yeah. games, so so now you're going to probably see some players that potentially were drafted later in that draft that all of a sudden are wow that because they weren't able to play that entire season, um, and I think it goes for exactly to your point of of some of the um, lack of game action and and lack of of playing playoffs for two straight years. Like, there's no question. S- some players, obviously, there's exceptions to every rule that that it didn't affect them or or. They were able to just hit the ground running, but for a lot of players, they need games. They need reps, and and you're seeing that a little bit to your point. So let's look at this team, that the 23-24 caps. And it, to me, it's it's interesting that this is a team that for the first time in, in nine seasons or whatever it is that they didn't make the playoffs. And, and look, halfway through the season, they were on pace for 100 points. It was kind of the second half that, that sent them careening off, off the track there. So... Um, Obviously, it's it's not something that it's not a position that they're used to being in. But typically, when there's when there's a coaching change and when there's a, a team falls short of its goals, there, there's some change in the team. And this team is is essentially as it was. I mean, sure, there were some guys moved out at the deadline, but it's essentially as it was uh, when they finished on uh, April thirteenth. Coaching staff more turnover in the coaching staff mm-hmm. than any any time in the last decade. But I like the fact. I mean, some some people will look and say, "Well, you got the oldest team, you got the youngest coaching staff." I actually like that. I think that I think that's what these guys were kind of crying out for. To me, just the the conversations that I had with them toward the back half of the season, it sounded like they were looking for a breath of fresh air. How do you guys provide that? And how important is it for you guys as a group to to find some cohesion that the coaching staff and in, in, in just in your daily workflow and being able to hit the ground running? Because I feel like chemistry is important 
amongst you guys every bit as much as it is on the ice with the players. I, I agree, and that's uh, where these next couple of weeks for us as a staff will, because uh, our, our, it'll be the first time our entire staff is together uh, yeah. in the coach's office working before we ramp up camp. So we've got um, a good couple of weeks where, where we'll get um, right into the thick of things and start to create those relationships or further those relationships, create that chemistry like you talk about, because I absolutely agree. Our staff and the environment that we help create is what permeates through our yeah. locker room. And it's what we give off on the bus, in the locker room, on the ice for practice, in our pregame skates. And, and it's important. And I, I, I can just speak to, to who I am as, as a coach. And I, I won't, you know, the, the differences or, or whatever it might be of, of what this group needs versus what it had or whatever it might be is I, that's just who I am as, as a coach. I'm a high energy, um, uh, enthusiastic, love to um, come to the rink and tackle the day. And, and I'm also a fierce competitor and intense guy. And I um, am extremely competitive, but also understand at the same time, the next day is another opportunity and, and how we figure it out the next day. And it's not going to, um, it's going to come from an enthusiasm and an energy perspective, as opposed to um, a, a, a poor me and, and, um, negativity uh, standpoint you you mentioned what the team needs and I gotta think that what the team and what individual players need at this level is vastly different from yeah. what they need uh, at the ECHL and the OHL and the AHL levels what, what have you seen from from your two years working with with Sheldon in Toronto mm -hmm. as what is the biggest difference in terms of what these guys are looking for from you versus what you've needed to provide at at those lower levels working your way up the ladder B biggest number one is is being conscious of workload and uh being conscious of schedule and those sort of go hand in hand but it, it just the schedule is so demanding that practice length reps um day-to-day -day, even your even your um meeting length like that stuff all has to be monitored and is just nowhere even near uh replicated in the minor leagues or in in uh junior hockey and so that's something that that um over the last couple of years I, I i've been able to learn and and our, our team's in a little bit different makeup than than the than um, Toronto is but still at the same time there, there's some effective ways to communicate message um, teach even though you're not taking reps in practice or even though it's not a 45 minute practice and it's 25 minutes um, you, you just have to get good at being able to coach in those moments and find different ways to get like I said your message across or or, mm. or create teaching situations um, where you're not having to drag guys in, or, or here's a, a prime example of where it's so rare, and I found this interesting over the last couple of years, and it's what I've gotten used to, is you play so many games in the National Hockey League coming off a day off. Very rare in the minor leagues. Like, you're right. you're never off before you play, but that's so... You, you've got to get really good with your process of we play Friday night, 
Saturday's off and we're going to play Sunday. So what does your coaching staff do on that Saturday away from the rink? Everybody needs their time yeah. so that you come back Sunday and you're prepared for a different opponent, but you're also learning from Friday. So there's some ways to do that in an effective way without having to spend 45 minutes in, in a video room or, or go out and practice and, and do a morning skate, even though you may do it that there's just little things that go into that, that you, that you, um, learn because of the schedule and the timing in, in the national hockey league and especially with an older team how important is the two-way communication and and bringing the uh, leadership group in and and making sure that these guys feel like they're invested in in everything that's going on and they have a say and and that you know they're, they're not just being yeah told what to do or a- absolutely not that, that's a really really important component because th- there's there's this hand right is where we need to play at an exceptionally high pace, right? And I've talked about that, and and our players will be in agreement, and they'll know. And so how do we do that while also managing workload, minutes, and, and that's that's the trick, right? We need to find that sweet spot of where we're able to play at a level like this for 60 minutes, and, and some of this stuff will come into our depth and why we'll be a four-line team and all this different stuff. But how do we get to this to where we can play shift after shift and we're able to get up and down, change, bang, we can make decisions, pucks moving, we're playing at a high pace, but we're also, our workload is manageable and we're not having to, not having to, to, to kill guys to where now we're, we're putting ourselves in jeopardy in terms of injury prevent, all, all of that stuff, which is really, really important. So that's my job is, is to find that common ground of that sweet spot with our training staff as well and our leadership group having a say in that. Going into the what we hope will be the last season of a flat salary cap here, it's it's kind of important and, and, and just organizationally too to, to be able to bring along some younger players and to find some some spots for them in the lineup and to work them in. And I feel like that's that's important for every team anyways but but maybe for for this team this year um and also an older team with a ton of back-to-backs this year good to have some some young legs in the lineup but you you're in a unique position of having coached a bunch of these guys before how important is it to integrate some of that that youth uh into the lineup especially early in the season where they can kind of lift up the rest of the boats with with those young legs yeah it's critical in the in the uh, salary cap era having um, that relief from from entry level players being able to come into your lineup and play and that that's um, that that's something that we will emphasize and and having those relationships with a lot of our younger players that that the expectations aren't going to change that the rope obviously I understand young players and I've talked about this before they're going to make mistakes they need um, opportunity and time and they will develop and I've seen that firsthand uh, but they also know my level of expectations and they know and have seen me coach and, and they know what are those non-negotiables and, and how dialed in they need to be with their structure and what a track looks like and if carbs doesn't see that they're like oh, they know um, long way of putting they know the level of expectation and so I think that helps with these guys being able to come in feel a little bit more comfortable and like you said be able to contribute because it's not the NHL isn't a league where you can just (laughs) okay keep going out there and making mistakes and we'll just keep suffering the repercussions that's not how it works and that 
isn't the way that it'll work with our young players as well. They know that there's a level of play that they have to live up to, and, and we're going to help them get there, and they're going to have um, plenty of opportunity, but they know there, there's a level of play that we expect, and that's what we're going to push them to get to as quickly as possible so that they can, like you said, lift the boat and help pull the rope and, and early in the season and alleviate minutes and be able to be a four-line team and a three-D-pair team. All of that stuff is going to be so important for our group. And the other side of that coin is obviously, as we've talked about a few times, you've got the oldest team in the league and you've got some guys whose you know, salary figures are, are pretty high and they're, and they're maybe having a harder time producing to that, to that level. A couple of those guys are still young enough, and I'm, I'm talking about Evgeny Kuznetsov and Anthony Mantha, where, you know, sometimes at some point everybody's career kind of takes that downward turn. But these guys are young enough that you could look at last year and say, well, this guy's young enough that he can rebound. What goes into being being the guy that can help push them towards that? And, you know, how do you manage those personalities to, to get the most out of those guys? So, so I would say this, the, the first thing I think that I've always approached it in, in whether it's a team or an individual is, is gather information first. So that's in two ways of, of wh- where they've been, what's made them successful in the past, F- find out from teammates, other coaches, management, scouts, wh- whatever it is, find out what's made them successful in the past or what have they looked like when they've been at their best. Now watch the film. And so see the good of when they were on their game, at the top of their game. What do they look like? What do they do? What are the areas that they most positively affect the game? Now look at the last 20 games, whatever it is from, from the previous season that they played in. What doesn't look the same? What, what's, what's different about this player than, than what I saw when he was clicking on all cylinders? And then so try to identify those and, and details inside of their game that potentially I can help them with. Or what about this here? Let's take a look at this and, and put the work in to find little tweaks or little areas of, of your positioning here. Or you're getting your puck off a little bit slower or, or whatever it is. And then it's my job to help them see those things and then give them confidence and get them back to where they were and and does that always work out no Mm -hmm. Um, there's no magic pixie dust (laughs) but at the at the end of the day I understand it's it's my job to get the most out of Anthony Mantha and help him get there it's not like okay go good luck yeah you you need to do xyz I have to help him get there and have have to help identify the situations where he's doing a great job and where he's not and it won't be different for any other player of of trying to help them reach their full potential and I, I um, with the two specific players that you touched on, I have great belief that they're going to come in, be highly motivated. Um, they want to do well. They want to be the best. They want to win games and help the Washington Capitals um, win a ton of games this year. So, with that, I got to know that's a great situation. So, two highly motivated guys that um, I think are going to come in and and um, do a great job for our group, and I'm going to do everything I can to help them. Okay, last thing before we let you go, and this will be a bit of a two-parter. Just listening to you talk here today, and, and I can tell like the competitive fire that 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 burns inside you, and obviously um, that's that's clearly the case. But t- ten 
the top 10 coaches in NHL history in terms of games coached, half of them, five of the 10, never played in the NHL. Got to get an opportunity. Got to start somewhere. Um, listening to you talk about your first year in South Carolina and how you look back on that now and kind of cringe a little bit. What goes into you still developing and, and, and you know, going up against the best in the business and, and growing your game like like the way players yeah. grow their games over the course of a season and over the course of a career. That's the one part of it. The other part of it is listening to you talk about the evolution of the game over the 15 years or so yeah. that you've been coaching in it. How do you kind of merge your development as a coach with the changing game and, and maybe try to get out on front of that curve and, and sort of lead in, in terms of innovation, and I'm not saying yeah. I'm not trying to put any pressure on you here, but um, and I know that that's a hard thing. That's what everybody's looking to do. Everybody yeah. wants to to find, but I, I feel like too often in this game, it's it's like okay, what did the last team do that won the cup, and let's let's sort of pattern ourselves after that in, instead of trying to maybe figure out, and maybe there's some failure involved here, and in, in, in trying to figure out where the game's going next, and and we try to lead that, and it, it doesn't work out, and maybe that's. That's too big of a, a bridge to, sure. to broach. But what, just your thoughts on, on those, those two things and, and how they diverge a little bit. It's, it's a really interesting, interesting point. And um, the game ha- has certainly changed. And so my, my – um, and, and I'm trying to be at the front of that, right, as a coach, is, is you're trying to find new ideas, new ways. What, where is this game going and how can you be ahead of that curve as opposed to playing catch-up? And, and I think I do look at things, I mean, try to find ways, and I'm always scouring, and I think I've been exposed to a few of those in some of the organi- organizations that I've been in. And I, I think about this that um, that is interesting, and I feel like the NFL is usually on the front of a lot of this stuff yeah. because of the money at stake, because of the league, because of the viewers, all of that stuff is they recognized two things a few years ago, called 10 years ago. What fans want to see, point production, yeah. touchdown, scoring. So the NFL's not, they, they, from a defensive league that, and, and don't get me, like defenses, defense still wins championships and you better be able to defend. Yeah. The Tampa Bay Lightning can defend the heck out of you. The, Las Vegas was an excellent defensive team. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm not, um, but what I am saying is that's where the game is going, right? The NFL knows, understands that points, touchdowns, Patrick Mahomes, that's money. That is yeah. where this game is going. The other thing is your superstar players, and they are the other thing that drives. And so, what do they do to the quarterback? They change the whole rules, right? Yep. Because they understand, they know that if Gotta these guys. Him. And so I bring those things up of, of just as a young coach, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but you need to try to be looking in all different areas of how, where's the game going? Are, are, can we do anything different offensively? Are, are we using the whole offensive zone? Can we get the puck to here and there? So that um, absolutely you're spot on with, with something that I try to look for. And now there's a line to that. you got to be careful and you can't go – crazy with that because like I said defending is still such an important part but there are areas where we will try to be cutting edge with the way that we play 
um, in a lot of offensive areas. And the other point, um, what was it about? Um, oh, coach, coaching. About, yeah. About- and so I would say that because it sparked something in my head because a lot of people probably, young coach, going to take time and, and totally fair experience. I, w- I will never sell short experience, but I, I feel like, and this goes to any walk of life, business, coaching, the, the second you're not learning and getting better and evolving as a coach or and as a leader, as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, yeah. you're, you're losing a step. As and a human. As a human. Yeah. If you think you've got it all figured out and, and so, yeah, I'm the first to tell you that I am learning all the time, taking different ideas, trying to find new ways to get better. And whether you're young or old, I'll be the same way at 55, hopefully doing the same thing, trying to find ways and not... Um, I just feel like when you, when you get stuck in, in your own vision and your own, nope, this is the way things need to be done. I'm not taking input. I don't want to see the way I, I do it this way. I think that's, um, you, you, you're just losing a little bit. There, there, there's, there's great ideas from great people all around you every day. Well, I hope you're still here when you're 55, and I hope you're <laughs> I here too. continuously when you're 55, and I hope I'm not. I hope you're the last of the 11 coaches that I've worked alongside here in, here in Washington, and I really appreciate your time. I've, I've enjoyed the hell out of this uh, conversation. Hopefully, you folks out there in listener land will, uh, will find it the same way. Thanks, Spencer. Appreciate Anytime. your time. Thank you. Superfood Performance Nutrition fuels the Washington Capitals, players, and staff on and off the ice. Each bite is energy-packed, highly nutritious, and engineered to boost recovery time. When they're not feeding pro athletes, Superfood is bringing the same high-quality nutrition to offices nationwide through their flagship corporate meal program, Simply Lunch. So if you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, check out superfd.com to learn more.